Okay, here we go. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Kyra Mann, CEO of MitoAction. Happy Friday and welcome to today's monthly Mito Expert Series presentation. We're glad to have you join us today to discuss Renew Pharmaceutical Stride Studies and moving Mito Medicine forward. Today's presentation will be recorded and available on the Mito Action website in the coming days, as well as on our podcast on Apple Play, Google Play, and Spotify. If you're joining us via computer, you should see the presentation on your screen. We encourage you to ask questions throughout the presentation using the Q&A feature at the bottom of the screen. If you're calling in via phone, feel free to submit your questions to us by email at info at We will do our best to get through as many questions as possible at the end of the presentation. If you are calling in by phone, you will be able to find the presentation slides on our MitoAction website at www.mitoaction.org slash resources slash strides. So the many studies in mitochondrial disease is truly exciting for our community and brings such hope on the horizon for our families. We're honored to have with us today, Dr. Madhu Davies, Medical Director from Renio Pharmaceuticals to share their pipeline updates for mitochondrial disease. Dr. Davies has served many roles at companies developing medicines to patients with rare diseases. For more than 25 years, she has provided leadership and advisory services, working in clinical development, safety, regulatory programs, gaining broad experience of drug development, including biologics, small molecules, and vaccines. Dr. Davies has held significant pharmaceutical roles as medical director and CMO in addition to medical affairs. She trained in medicine in the United Kingdom and maintains an active academic interest as visiting professor at Cardiff University. She is director of the postgraduate course in pharmaceutical medicine and has also edited or contributed to several textbooks and journals. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Davies. Thank you very much indeed to the host for such a warm introduction and, and very great thanks for asking me to come back again. It's a real pleasure and privilege to be talking to you again today, and I'm always keen to interact with members of the Mito Action community. So, what am I going to talk to you about today then? Well, the organisers were keen to hear a little bit more about how we're moving mitochondrial medicines to patients, and also a little bit about our, our STRIDE study that's coming up now. And so those are the two main things I'd like to cover. And in particular, the organisers asked us about the um, news flow that we put out around our orphan designation and fast track status. So those are the two regulatory areas that I'm going to focus on, just to give you the background and help understand how this works for us all. So a little bit about Reneo. Some of you have met us before, but for those of you who haven't, um, we're a, a small biopharmaceutical company based in San Diego. Um, focusing on mitochondrial medicines. And as you can read from the slide, our mission is to address the main challenges of patients who have these genetic metabolic myopathies with the goal of improving endurance so that you all have less fatigue and feel better overall. It's much more elegantly put on the slide for you there. So moving medicines to move you. Well, 
As you all know, the FDA is a, a world-class regulatory agency. And one of the things that they've taken very seriously is the need to support patients as well as companies in getting good medicines faster. So as long as you've got a good medicine coming through, these will apply. And they have a number of toolkits and um, options that companies can consider very carefully and if they feel appropriate, apply. So they're not a done deal. We have to apply and we have to prove why a programme is worth being given one of these designations or more. As I say, it's a toolkit, so there is pick and mix. There are things in the toolkit that we might use at one time that may not be appropriate and that may not be appropriate later on, or we may pick other tools as, as the programme develops and we move on in, in, in our understanding of the drug and how it could help patients. So if you just hold that thought that these are tools and we choose the most appropriate one at the time, then I think that should work quite well. So we've been very fortunate. The data that we've generated have allowed us to apply for two of these um, tools. One is the orphan designation, which I'll speak about a little bit more in a moment, and the other is fast track status. So we take nothing for granted, and these things are a gift of the FDA subject to us demonstrating worthiness of them, and they could be taken away if we, if we fail to continue showing that worth. So again, bear that in mind. So orphan designation, there are some very specific criteria for a number of um, conditions where the conditions get left behind or orphaned because they're not very big diseases, they don't affect very many patients and they're quite difficult to research. So understandably, many companies will, will try to focus on, on areas where they might be serving more, higher numbers of patients or they might have more options for research. But from the point of view of what is an orphan, what does this mean? The FDA has a really nice definition, which I put up on the slide for you. So in our context, Bruneo, this applies to drugs that are intended to either prevent, not us, diagnose, not us, or treat diseases or conditions that affect fewer than 200,000 people in the United States. So we, we are trying to develop a drug for the treatment of primary mitochondrial myopathy, which definitely affects, as you all know better than art, we do fewer than 200,000 people in America. And that's really a very small number, isn't it, compared to the overall population. So, so you can see the challenge. We were very fortunate in that we were able to evidence the, the um, approximate numbers of patients in the United States with the condition and also evidence the, the um, treatment paradigm at the moment, which is essentially that there aren't any approved treatments and that you all rely in the mito community on, on various cocktails of, of vitamins and supplements and so on to do the very best that you can to help your conditions. So with the package of data that we were put to get, able to put together, FDA very graciously granted us orphan designation late last year for the treatment of primary mitochondrial myopathy. Well, you could say big deal. So what does we know that there aren't very many mito patients, and we know that there aren't any treatments for us at the moment. What does this mean? Why does it matter? Well, the, the thing about it is that's important really is that the designation, speaking in general terms now, is intended to encourage companies to, to really put the effort in to focus on these unmet need areas 
where patients are not being served by any other products really and there's very little research going on so it's, it's the whole point is to encourage companies to come forward and work in these difficult areas it's as i said earlier it's not a done deal though we we've demonstrated why we qualify today and then we need to keep demonstrating that every year with the progress report to the fda and if they don't think we're trying hard enough they can take the designation away so believe me, we'll be trying very hard indeed because we want to get this medicine well researched to understand what it can do and if it's appropriate to seek a license for it to help the mitochondrial medicine population. In addition to seeking an orphan designation to help us with, 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 with our research and supporting that research programme, there are a number of other tools. Um, there are four specifically available in the FDA's expedited programs um, toolkit, it's grand name, isn't it? And I'm going to talk in particular about one that we've been granted, but I'm also, for the sake of completeness, and so that you have a fuller picture, um, we'll mention the other ones that are available as well and say, well, we're not applying for those today, so that you have that you have a say, you have a better picture about what's going on. So if you're if you're a an FDA reviewer, you're a very, very busy person. You have lots of companies lining up with drugs to be reviewed, and you have lots of, of companies lining up with drugs that could make a difference to patients. So naturally, you need, you need to be able to um, do your job, which is review the drugs thoroughly and, 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 and in a timely fashion. But you also need a way, don't you, to be able to um, triage perhaps the, the drugs for areas where there could be a really big difference to patient groups, particularly where there's nothing else available. And that's really what these designations are about. So it's about helping get a thorough review done in a timely way so that patients are not deprived of drugs but due to a lengthy review period. So we applied for fast track designation and we were fortunate enough to get it. So what does that mean? First of all, we had to demonstrate that the that REM001 is a drug that is intended to treat a very serious condition, and there's nobody who knows better about that than all of you. And that we'd already generated some data to underpin our arguments, and I'll come to that a bit later on, um, and then be able to show how, if everything progressed in the clinical trials according to plan, we would be able to support um, the need for a fast-track designation. So we're trying to develop a medicine to treat a serious condition and we're trying also to demonstrate through the clinical trial that we'll be running that the medicine has the potential to, to address the unmet medical needs that you all know better than I do and help patients with family mitochondrial myopathy move better, less fatigue, more endurance and have a better quality of life than those because of those improvements. The alternative for completeness, of course, because I shouldn't, I shouldn't give you a partial picture here, is that if we were developing or if the company is developing a drug for an infectious disease, then, then that might also be given fast track designation. And what this really means from a practical point of view is going back to our assessor who's really, really busy, is that they have a process to speed up the review. So they still do a very, very thorough review but they do it in chapters, if you like. As we finish each part of the programme, they can take a good look at it and start making out those questions and the things that they want to ask us about, rather than having the whole book delivered to them at the end. And so it's a, a partnership where we work together 
to, to review, provide and review the data as we generate them, the so-called rolling review. And some of you will read about that in the press for, for other products. As I've said, there's a health warning for us as a sponsor. If we don't keep pushing our programme forward and we don't show that we're doing our best to develop this drug in a, as sensible a fashion as possible, then the FDA can say, thanks a lot, you know, don't waste our time. And we're going to rescind the fast track designation. So there is obviously pressure on us to, to keep going and keep doing our job to the best that we can. And of course we would anyway, but it all helps, doesn't it? So I just thought it would be useful for you to, to see the sorts of drugs that have had fast track success for patients, because that's what this is about, isn't it? It's getting the medicines to patients faster. And I thought it would be, so I just looked at what had been granted up to December last year. And these are just the first few examples that came up, and some of them might look familiar. So there was a metastatic breast cancer um, treatment. There was something for spinal muscular atrophy, which is a horrible condition affecting small children. And again, absolutely no treatments available for it. And unsurprisingly, there were a number of COVID infections, which is very topical at the moment, isn't it? And perhaps closer to our community, the Jolvi got a, got a fast track success for the treatments of long chain fatty acid oxidation disorder. So it could be fast track designation can be granted to all sorts of products. But the key things are that they meet the criteria that I, sh I shared with you earlier, and they're going to make a difference to patients. So FDA reading the data as chapters and, and making their, making their um, commentary is, is worth their while compared to them waiting for the whole book to be finished, which is our whole research programme. So, and I've given you a web link in a later slide if any of you are interested in going having a look at the, the sorts of drugs that got approved last year or needing in previous years. I'm now coming to the sake of completeness, I'm now going to just comment on some of the other tools in the FDA toolkit. Um, so breakthrough designations included there. That's really for um, something that's going to be a drug that's going to be treating a really serious condition for which preliminary clinical data, which are often quite limited, show that the drug is going to have a really big difference in effect compared to what's already available. And typically these are cancer treatments where a new mechanism of action comes up or, or a, a totally new way of approaching the cancer is identified. And you'll be very aware that, that patients who have cancer don't have time. And so that's, this is a particularly appropriate designation for that patient group. Although other drugs do fall into this from time to time, but going back through the lists over a few years, 2020 was typical, and that the majority of those sorts of products are cancer. Um, treatments. Accelerated approval. Well, this is an interesting one as well. So subtle, slightly subtle dif difference here. It's, so it's a drug for a serious condition and it also shows some sort of very meaningful advantage over other therapies that are already available. And the key here is that it's using a surrogate endpoint. So again, if you had for example, if you were developing um, a blood pressure drug because controlling people's blood pressure hopefully will stop them from having strokes, you wouldn't want to wait to count the number of strokes that happened in the comparison group on, on dummy drug versus the group that have been treated with your drug. You'd want to use blood pressure, measuring blood pressure and controlling blood pressure as a surrogate to cut down on the time it takes to bring that drug forward 
because measuring blood pressure is known, sorry, because blood pressure control is known to be associated with reduction in stroke. So the blood pressure measurement is the surrogate and the disease that you're trying to avoid here or, or prevent is stroke. And some of this might be a bit um, confusing and I'll, I'll, I will be taking questions at the end. So please, if, if you do have any questions, hold those thoughts and we'll come back to it. But again, this is a sometimes used approach because you have to have a, a well-known surrogate marker like measuring blood pressure and it has to be validated in the condition that you're trying to either treat or prevent, for example, stroke. So 12 drugs that were newly approved in 2020 used that route. And again, they were often cancer drugs based on, on surrogates for survival, such as progression-free um, progression interval or something like that. Priority review. Now, this is an interesting one um, because it doesn't apply to us today because we have not yet generated our package. But I'm keeping my fingers crossed because this is an application for a drug that treats a serious condition and, if approved, would provide a significant improvement in safety or effectiveness of the drug. So as we stand today, Reneo is embarking on a new, on a new trial, so we don't have that data yet. Um, but I'm keeping my fingers crossed that we might one day qualify for this, but I don't know yet. And examples, again, unsurprisingly, you know what I'm going to say when I look back at the data for last year, that about half, just, just over half of the new drugs that were approved under the priority review scheme were again for cancer for the reasons I've already explained. So a company can take advantage of more than one regulatory tool and can dip into the toolbox to use the ones that are most appropriate at the time. And they're not mutually exclusive. And as I think it's just amazing the way the FDA has set this program up, these programs up to help us all, because it helps us develop the drugs. And the whole point of that is it helps us get drugs to patients faster. And if you are interested in, in which sort of drugs came through, why they came through, please do take a look at the web link that I put on this slide to help you. Um, I have put a slide up next for questions, but I've been advised by the, the organisers that we perhaps should wait till, till the end and do them in one go. So bear with me while I skip over this one. And I'm now going to progress to tell you a little bit about our molecule, REN001, and why we thought this might be a useful drug to develop for patients with primary mitochondrial myopathy. So... Our molecule, REN001, is a really interesting drug. It works. You've heard of PFARs, and I know, I know that many of you will know a lot about them because you do a lot of reading, a lot of research yourself. But it works in a really interesting way. That works, assuming that my, my arrow is working, to increase fatty acid oxidation. And that's important to us all because when we want to do something and get going, Say I look over my shoulder and see that a lion is about to start chasing me. It'll be glucose I use first, but that will only last for a very short time while my fatty acid oxidation is kicking in to provide me with fuel to power up, power up my, my batteries and get me going. So I need the fatty acid oxidation to work. And we know that in patients with primary mitochondrial myopathy, skipping ahead a little bit to what I'm going to say on the next slide as well, this doesn't work so well. So that's, that's how the drug works. And that's really exciting because if it can work in primary mitochondrial myopathy, it should help 
boost that energy supply. And that's, that's the premise on which this works, really. So moving on to, to primary mitochondrial myopathy, we've already covered the fact that it's a very rare disease and um, needs treatment. So that's one reason for looking for a drug that, that would work in this condition. And critically for PMM, as you all know very well, this is a genetic condition caused by mutations in both mitochondrial and nuclear DNA. And those encode, encode the proteins that help this machinery work, whereby fatty acid oxidation occurs efficiently. And we've got the, the power and the energy to run away from that lion that's now roaring at us in the distance. The lack of this energy, though, and the ability to switch this on and, and get that, that energy through, as you all know, leads to both um, issues with your muscles. So you don't have the endurance you might want. You can't walk as far as you might like. Getting around the, the supermarket, we call it something different in America, um, is, a, is a difficulty. Going to Walmart and walking up and down the very long aisles wears you out. Um, the muscles can hurt, and, and I know you will have a lot of fatigue on, on, on a bad day. So these are the things that we hope the drug could fix by powering up this part of the cycle and getting more of those fatty acids oxidized and available to provide energy. And of course, there is no treatment, so, so it would be great, wouldn't it, if, if, if companies could come forward and, and develop a treatment that works for all of you. So the rationale then is that the, the way the, the, that REN001 works in theory should be very suitable for patients with mitochondrial myopathy. And so we took that into some, some lab tests and test tubes. We took it through to some animal levels, some healthy volunteer work to make sure that the drug was reasonably well tolerated and could also do what we thought from the point of view of mechanism in, in healthy volunteers. And then, as you know from colleagues who've previously spoken to this community, we also ran a, a very small patient study, which did confirm improvements both in endurance and how patients felt. Excuse me. <coughs> so that was brilliant because that information together gave us a, a, a story that we could understand that logically flowed through and made sense. And that was the information that we shared with the regulators to apply for the orphan designation and the first track designations, and that was brilliant when they were granted. Excuse me, croaking at you. So what comes next then? Well, is it, we are now, and I'm late breaking news, we're now enrolling in our REM001201 stride study. And this is what we're, we're putting into place now to try and, and generate the evidence to underpin the drug and to underpin all of the work that we've done so far in the hope that we demonstrate that the drug works in patients and makes a difference to you. So what's the study about? Oh, no, I have to do the disclaimer first, forgive me. So this study is funded by a drug company. It's funded by us, Reneo Pharma Limited. I have to emphasize that, that REN001 is a study drug only. It's not available outside this study, this research program. Um, the whole point of the study is to confirm the safety and efficacy of the drug, so we haven't done that yet. And so, therefore, we don't know whether the drug will be approved. That's the point of the study, and we need to do the work first. And the information that I'm going to share with you is, is posted on chemicaltrials.gov, and I would encourage you to go and have a look there when you want to and you've got time. So, as you can read, we have a nice long title for our study. And the title reflects the design of the study, which I'll come to in, in some detail in a moment. And for those of you who want to have a look, these are the identifiers and where you'll find 
the information about it. So what sort of patients are suitable for the study? Well, we're looking for adults aged over 18 years who could be male or female. Um, they need to have primary mitochondrial myopathy, which is very carefully defined by an international workshop. So this is a, a definition that's recognised around the world now, which is great. And in a nutshell, patients need to have defined mitochondrial DNA mutations. We are only studying mitochondrial DNA, so please bear that in mind. The characteristic of the illness, the right sorts of patients for the drug, given how I've explained it works, will be those who have exercise intolerance or active muscle pain when, exercise, when exercising. So walking up and down the aisles at, at Walmart, something like that will, will give you some pain or, or it could be difficult. Critically, because of the way we've set the study up and the things we're testing, patients do need to be able to walk independently. You can have a stick or a, a roller, a walking aid of some sort, but you cannot have another person helping you to walk. So that's independent walking. And of course, as some of you will ask us, if, if, if um, a lady is capable of, of getting pregnant, then she would be, need to be prepared to use um, highly effective contraception. And that's standard for, for most studies of investigational drugs. So what does our study look like? Well, um, we're running it in a lot of centres. I'm, I'm going, to, going to say 38 today, but it might be more or might be less after that. But we're aiming for about 38 at the moment. It's running in a number of countries. It's a double-blind study, so none of us know whether the patients are getting active drug or getting dummy placebo. And there are two groups of patients, one getting active and one getting placebo. As I say, we won't know which or which going through the study together. Patients will receive either active drug once a day or placebo once a day. And they'll take this for 24 weeks with food. I've already said we're looking for adults, males and females. Um, genetic mutations, mitochondrial, um, intolerance, muscle pain, able to walk and effective contraception to avoid pregnancy. What are we going to measure? Well, this will start to make sense now, given what I've said. We're going to measure, very simply, the change in how far patients can walk from the start of the study to the end of the study as a measure of endurance and fatigue. It's a, a very simple measure, but that's the thing that matters, isn't it? Can I get around Walmart? Or is that just too much for me with my condition? And that, that, will tell it, that, that will help us because it will tell us about the impact of the drug on fatigue, endurance, and actually the impact on the activities of daily living, the things we all have to do every single day. The secondary endpoints that we're going to measure are the, the how you feel when you're taking the drug. So changes in, in your, in your um, physical functioning, muscle symptoms, and, and your well-being as measured by patient-reported outcomes. So this is what you think collected on, on, on questionnaires. Obviously, we're going to be watching safety all the time and making sure we know what's going on. And we're also going to be um, assessing the pharmacokinetics. So that means how much drug is in the blood at different times of the day after a once daily dose. We'll also do some exploratory um, assessments of just how much quality of life might be improved. Um, because clearly our previous studies were very small and we want to see if, if the, the positive changes we saw are carried forward into a much bigger study. 
and a bigger population of patients. So, as I said, for information on this, please do visit the visit clinicaltrials.gov website or the MITO Action website, where MITO Action is very kindly also put some information about the study up there. And on that, I, I will now invite questions. Um, but just again, in case I forget my manners, thank you very much indeed for inviting me to speak. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Davies. We appreciate your insight and sharing all of the information. I think it's really important for patients as we try to encourage our community to participate and take an active role to really understand what the process is and how drugs you know, get to approval, the fast track steps and orphan drug designation and exactly what that means. So I appreciate all of your, your insight. So I have a couple of questions that have come in. Um, the first question is, will having a different diagnosis in addition to PMM preclude a patient from participating in the study? Thank you. We're very, I'm very excited about this program, but in drug development terms, we're still quite early on in the development. And so we're required to look at a relatively I hate to say this, but clean population. So it's just one more or less one illness, because if, for example, you had an illness where you were regularly off sick because of breathing problems or other issues that might impact your ability to move about, it would be really hard to know whether it was the, the drug was working or whether it was there was an issue with the other disease, etc. So at this stage, it would depend on what the other condition was. But if it's something that's going to um, impact how, how we assess the, the endurance, how we assess any improvements in physical functioning, or indeed if the condition required lots of other drugs that could interact with at, the, at this stage with our drug, then those would be reasons for caution and concern. So I can't give you a straight answer because it depends what the condition is, how stable it is, what other meds the, the patient is on as well. But in general terms, um, our, our, our requirement at this stage is to try and um, examine, examine the drug in the, best, in the best way we can without having any interference from other conditions, because otherwise we might not be able to tell the difference. And I, I, I may, may that may be a bit waffly, but is that clear? Yeah, absolutely. Thank, that. You. Thank you. I'm just very conscious that the, you know, this community has been waiting a really long time, and I don't want to... I don't want to, to I'll probably get told off by someone for this, but I, I want to be really straightforward with you and not build up yeah. hope unreasonably, but equally, you know, there is hope. <laughs> right. That's why I'm trying to be careful about my answers so I don't mislead any of you. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. That That is a, a great answer. Um, because again, as you said, you have to make sure that it's a clean study and there aren't other factors impacting the results of the patients who are involved in the study. Otherwise, you have no no real determining factor whether or not the drug is actually making an impact or it's some external factor that's involved. So absolutely understood. Can you talk a little bit about how um, endpoints are determined and, and knowing what's, what's effective for the patient community and, and why those, those endpoints are selected? Certainly. So the um, this question may have come in before I showed the, the slides about the study, but Essentially, we were looking for, for something that 
right back at the beginning, we were looking for something that we could measure because the drug trials, you have to measure something and show a difference that would actually potentially be meaningful. So the question is, what is meaningful? So as I was saying, we were thinking about what is it that patients do every day? What do they need to be able to do? And indeed, some of you have been kind enough to talk to us as well as, as, as part of um, our, our outreach work to, to help us understand the disease better. So I use the example of being able to get around the supermarket, uh, Walmart. What do you call the supermarket in America? I'm sorry. Uh, what do you call a super? What do you call Walmart? Is it a supermarket? The, the groceries or the grocery, grocery store. store. Yeah. Thank you. Can, can you get to the end of the aisle in the grocery store? Can you push the trolley? And those things require the physical ability to walk a distance. And they also require endurance because you have to be able to keep going, don't you? So we looked for, for things that we could measure that the regulators accept that reflect those sorts of activities. And so in our study, as you, as you saw in one of the later slides, we, we're going with a walking test, which directly relates to what, what we can do as we get around on our activities of daily living. And we're also using a, a, a sitting and standing test because that requires you to be able to move about and get up and about. So that's that's all well and dandy. That's what we're measuring. But the most but that doesn't matter if patients don't feel better. And so, as you may have seen on the slide, we're also asking patients using some very well established questionnaires how you're actually feeling as the study progresses. Is it making a difference to the activities of daily living? Is it making a difference to what how you feel? And, and again, it's a very cold clinical world, but word, but how you function, how you're getting on. And those things, frankly, are really important because if the drug is working because you can walk a bit further, but you don't feel very well, then that's not great, yeah. is it? So both things are incredibly important to us, and that's why we chose them. Yeah, and well, and also a perfect example of the value of patient input because that absolutely. That, that's where patient input is incredibly beneficial because if it's not improving their quality of life, then there's no point in taking the, the therapy. So um, thank you for that. So can you talk a little bit, and I'm not ask, asking for exact numbers, but can you talk <laughs> a little bit about, like, you know, what's the difference in the, in the timeline of a drug approval process when you're fast-tracked as opposed to going through the normal FDA approval steps? That's a very tricky one at the moment. Um, from the from the point of view, what, the reason I'm saying it's tricky is because of pandemic, bluntly, because yeah. that's messed everything up. But what what I would hope it would do would it would it would be that it would knock a significant. I'm not going to give you actual numbers because the pandemic's messing everything up. But it would normally we would normally expect it to knock a, a, a very significant amount off the time um, that it takes to to progress the studies and to get get to a result partly because you there, there is there are um help one of the things that we get that's helpful is extra advice along the way that, that we can access in a, in a more timely fashion so we're not pausing so much to wait for advice but i don't know how much resource the fda is going to have in the nicest possible way because they're living through pandemic too right. so in theory in theory it compresses our timeline but i'm not going to put a number on it at the moment and if you ask me out of pandemic i might say something slightly different mm -hmm. uh, but again this is about me not set, telling you something and then getting all excited and then nothing happens so i think it's i think it's going to shave a decent amount of time off and my decent is is in terms of, of many months to a year or so but i i don't honestly know at this stage 
Right, absolutely. Well, I appreciate that. Do you, another question came in asking if there is any data um, about the impact of REN01 R -E on other tissues besides muscle? Or is that not something that's being looked at? It would be, it's a shame because it would be helpful to understand what the, the driver for the question was, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, but from, from our point of view, the, it, 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 the, the, the receptor that the drug works on is spread through different sorts of muscles predominantly. And so therefore we focused on muscle. But as I say, if I, I, I don't understand the, the context for the question, otherwise I'll try and phrase, frame that slightly differently. Sure. Can you, can you talk a little bit about, so we have quite a few patients in our community that get a diagnosis with variant of unknown specificity for those patients. Like what are your, your thoughts and recommendations to them about trudging forward to be able to participate in clinical trials and being a part of the process and being, you know, not losing that hope. Um, are there diagnostic programs available as part of the clinical trial or, you know, what, what would be your words of encouragement and advice to them? I think the, the first of all, I mean, this is an amazing community and, and I think the question Cara has kind of relayed just shows how much you're all willing to help each other mm -hmm. by volunteering for trials. And that's, that's just amazing. The altruism of the population and patients is just phenomenal. I'm always blown away by it, to be honest. So that's, that's the first thing that I think is, is really important to acknowledge for whoever asked that question and all of you who are listening. So thank you. In general, and I'm going to speak generally now, in general terms, I would say your first port of call would be your, your the, person, the doctor that you normally talk to about your primary mitochondrial myopathy and a conversation with them about your diagnosis and about your um, potential suitability in general terms, how well you are for chemical trials. And should you be should you still be interested in pursuing this? Some of you will have a very specific diagnosis provided via genotyping that helps um, as, as you and your doctor are looking on the very on clinicaltrials.gov, for example, at the various trials that are available to see if you may or may not be suitable. Um, but for others, it will depend on the company and the setup. But certainly from, from our point of view, if, if a patient fulfills all the criteria but doesn't have a genotype, we would, we would offer that as well. So, but I can't speak for other companies. Obviously, we're all, we're all approaching this in, our, in, in very specific ways. So have I answered the question, Cara? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you so much. Can you tell us um, where are the sites that are currently enrolling for the trial? Yeah, we've got our first site has opened, and that's in Texas. And I'm so excited because they just opened. <laughs> And we're, we are so, so close now to the, to the other sites that are almost there and they're, they're spread across America, basically, as you would hope. So keep, keep watching us on clinicaltrials.gov, which we'll be updating as, as the sites open. But we are so close. I can't tell you that they've opened yet because they haven't, but they're nearly there. Okay, wonderful. So, yeah, and we'll also have that information on our website as well. Thank you, um, Thank you very much. Yeah, and you mentioned, too, that there will be international sites as well. Yes. That will be opening. yes. So we're we're running running the study in 13 countries around the world, and we would hope that way to be able to show that the the, the drug is effective across a, a mitochondrial micro patients wherever they're living in the world. 
um, because it's a genetic condition, but also, frankly, because it's a rare condition. So we need to go beyond the borders of the United States to be able to, to um, recruit enough patients. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, I thank you, Dr. Davies, for your time and your insight. And, you know, again, it's always exciting for us when we can bring to our community the insights on current studies that are going on so that our, you know, one of the things I like to tell our patients is that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, somewhere in the world, there's a light on in a lab and somebody is studying mitochondrial disease. And so to hear directly from our researchers and our pharma partners that are working so diligently to make that happen and bring these treatments um, to market, it, it's just incredibly encouraging. And so we want you to know how incredibly grateful we are to you and the team at Reneo for all of the work that you do and your commitment to this community. We truly, truly appreciate it. That, that is so kind of you, but genuinely it's a privilege. And thank you all very much too. It's a real partnership and I appreciate that too. Thank Wonderful. So we, as a reminder, today's uh, presentation will be posted on the MitoAction website for anyone who would like to go back and listen again. If you step away and realize that you have some additional questions, feel free to email us and we will forward those on to Dr. Davies and get those questions answered for you. Um, so we want to thank everyone for joining us today. Dr. Davies, thank you. Thank you to the Reneo team for all of that you do. Everyone have a wonderful weekend and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Take care.